This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. We are back, only five on two today. Jack Caldwell's here. I'm Chris Hennessy. We got a lot to talk about, especially with the local teams, Jack. So let's get right into it. The New Jersey Devils are the story of the NHL and how bad they've started out there. Oh four and two in their oh four, yeah oh four and two oh four and two in their first. Six and they've games. just looked really bad. Right, and they've looked really bad doing it. They've blown two leads, one to the Panthers and one to the Jets, and Jack Hughes has zero points. The goaltending's been horrible, and that was the X factor. Subban has not been a good defenseman in his own end, and he was looking to be depended on as the rock, and the rest of the defense has just been horrible. You can't give up five goals a game, which is basically what the Devils have been doing. Yeah, they're at 29 goals against. They're at a minus, to be at a minus 16 goal differential. Six games into six the season. Six games into the season. That's really bad. Um, they're also 0-3. Oh, they're obviously 0-1-2 oh, oh, at home, but they're 0-3 on the road. They're, their goaltending's been terrible. And how about just two blown leads, both of them at home, too? And both of them significant leads, and both of them, I, uh, the, you had the Panthers dropping six goals on them. You had Winnipeg dropping five goals on them. The, that's just horrible. You can't let that happen. So there was a, a news today out of New Jersey that Tom Fitzgerald, assistant GM, is moving down to the bench and taking and basically willing himself into an assistant coach position, which is a Lula Merlo move. Reminder: He literally was the coach of the Devils when he was the general manager of the Devils. This is obviously the assistant GM becoming the assistant coach. This is coming right from the top. I can't imagine Ray Shiro is happy with John Hines in the the start that he's gotten off to. And how about not only the start he's gotten off to, but that the fact that there's only I saw this stat the other day. There's only one team with a worse record than the New Jersey Devils since the day John Hines signed that signed that contract extension. And it's the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, so I since, didn't get signing that extension. I criticized it on this podcast the second he signed it. You're giving, you're taking away motivation from him, and at the same time, there was nothing that he did last year that made him seem worthy of an extension. Right. If, if they had given him the extension after the playoff year, after the Hall MVP year, fine. But then, like halfway through last year, when they were just kind of like this middling team in the middle, like maybe they're going to make the playoffs, maybe they're not. To to sign your coach to that extension doesn't make too much sense. Yeah, they were bad. They had the third worst record in the NHL. Right. And obviously got the number one pick. But toward, towards the end of the season, they, they got they worse. They bottomed out. Right. When they signed that contract extension, they were kind of in the middle there. Yeah. And then once he signed it, they they, they tanked and, and went out for the first overall pick. But uh, it doesn't make too much sense to me. I, I, I'm I not you know totally sure on John Hines' coaching pedigree coming in. And now you, you're six games into the season with your coach on the hot seat, with front office guys coming down to the bench. How long does he like? Does he get to Thanksgiving? Uh, well, it depends upon if they can turn it around. And part of it is the team that they've constructed because they literally have no defense, and you're uh, relying on Corey Schneider to be the Corey Schneider of three years ago. When realistically, based on his injury history and just the way he's played the last two seasons. You could not rely on him being that. Mackenzie Blackwood is not exactly the guy behind him that you want there to be that reliable, steady backup. So everything about this team, the way it's constructed right now, does not scream winner unless everything falls into place perfectly, which is how it fell into place the year they made the playoffs with Taylor Hall, and then they got smacked around in the first round by Boston. So you can't really look at this team and say, well, they, it's not like they should be the number two team in the East or anything like that. Right. That things are going poorly for them, 
but this was not a team that was expected realistically to be a great team unless everything swung right for them. And you mentioned how if they're going to be a playoff team, everything has to go right. And the number one thing you would put on that list is Jack Hughes. And he now, hasn't. But eight, you can't be too hard. Right, no, he's 18 years old. He's six games into his NHL career. I understand that. But he has no points. And to be a guy who's, they were compa- like the two of them, Hughes and Kako, were compared to the Ovechkin Crosby draft, to the McDavid line, dra- uh, the Matthews line draft, to be like the big one two punch that are going to be in the league for 15 years. And Ovechkin and Crosby both had 100 points in their rookie season. You can't expect that out of everybody. Yeah. And I understand that, but he really hasn't been good. But what I don't get is. Everybody looked at Hughes and said he's a work in progress. It might take him two years to adjust to the NHL. That was the talk. It was give him time, give him the reps. But People were you... saying he should have started the year in the AHL. And now he starts the year in the NHL on the second line. He has no points. And no, he hasn't been good. But everyone's killing him. Isn't this what everyone said we were supposed to expect? Uh, yeah, but when you're drafted number one overall, even if those ex- even if those expectations are put upon you from the realists, there are people who are going to be like, well, you're drafted number one overall, you should figure this out. Similar to Jared Goff in the NFL. Yeah. That first year, he was not good. And they're like, look, look, you might not be Peyton Manning, but you, you're drafted number one overall, you should be a good quarterback. Look, the thing with Hughes is I think it might be more beneficial, and this has been talked, to put him on the wing so there's less pressure on him because now it's getting in his head, and this could be a problem. When is he going to score that first point? When is he going to score that first goal? That's going to be lingering in his head. It can get into his head. We saw David Quinn talking about Kako, that it was in his head, and he got the goal in the third game of the season, and yet he and he played very well through those first three games, and Quinn said it was affecting him. So I can't imagine what it's like in Hughes' head through six games. We saw when he had that open net against Florida and it rung off the post twice, yeah. and he slammed his stick into the ice. You could see the frustration, very unlike the Jack Hughes that we saw before. So you might want to put him on the wing. I don't know what teammates you'd put him with because I wouldn't put him on that top line, but I think you just need to take some pressure off of him and put him in maybe some lower leverage situations right. to let him get a couple of points on the board, score that first goal, and then you can say, okay, now he's getting into the swing of things. We can give him more responsibility as a center. The thing with the Devils this year is there haven't been that many low leverage situations. They've been a lot of close. The They've old, been falling behind in games They've early. been falling behind in games, then when they get up, they can't hold the lead. They're never up three goals for an extended period of time. Like, all right, let's experiment with the kid. Let's see what he can do, which is kind of what you need when you have an 18-year-old uh, uh, playing as your number 2 center. All right, so you mentioned Capo Caco. Let's get to the Rangers. They finally played a hockey game. They lost to Edmonton. They're playing again tomorrow night against those New Jersey Devils, and they didn't look very good against Edmonton and, and lost a game to a really good hockey team, no doubt. But Yeah, there's a lot of issues with that game. I think the biggest issue that's been talked about is the fact that Jacob Trubo wasn't being played on the top defensive pairing when... He's clearly your best defenseman and one of the best defensemen in the league, and he came to the Rangers to get those minutes against McDavid and Dreisaitl, and he's not playing, and they tore them apart. They were playing against the second and third defensive pairings, which just could not match up. And I think the main reason was that right now, Trub is playing with Libor Hayek, which I really like, because Hayek is a coveted defenseman prospect for the Rangers, and you want a guy like Truba paired with him to learn. And I don't think they trusted Hayek up against McDavid and Drysaddle in right. that situation. But then you just take Hayek away from Truba in that game, and then you go back against in these next in this next game against the Devils, where you can afford to give Hayek more ice time against the struggling Devils team. But 
you put Truba, you have to put Truba and Shea up against that top line against the Oilers, and they did, and, and McDavid and Drysaddle just tore the Rangers up, and that was a team that was just looked lethargic, the Rangers, after those that week off. Yeah, they looked slow, especially defensively, and in the third period they didn't look very good. And you, you have to wonder how that week off hurts. It, it obviously yeah, hurts. They, they were lethargic, they were rusty, the Oilers had been playing regularly, they were on a streak. The, the Oilers were 4-0, the Rangers were uh, 2-0. So right. they had played twice as many games in that span that the Rangers had, so... It wasn't really fair deal and scheduling, but I think it was a bad move by Quinn, and we have a lot of the, the line changes he's been looking at to get into momentarily to put Jacob Truba on giving him second to third pair minutes when he's your top pair guy, and that's what he's on the Rangers to play. So moving forward, I think he will get some more top pair minutes with Hayek. They didn't want to expose Hayek in that situation, but if you don't want to expose Hayek, then you got to put him with Shea, and that is... Pound for pound, the best defensive pairing you could put together on the Rangers would be Truba and Shea. So that's who should be against the, right. the best top line in hockey. The, the Islanders did the same thing when they played against the Oilers two days earlier or three days earlier. It was Noah Dobson's first game, so they paired. He was paired with Nick Luddy, and Nick Luddy didn't see Connor McDavid. And you can't blame him. I mean, Noah Dobson's 19 years old; it's his first NHL game. I you don't want to play against Connor McDavid. I get it. It was Pulak and Pelic, and they got. Eaten up a little bit on a couple couple of times, but yeah. But the real deal, James Neal. The real deal, James Neal was the real issue there. But um, you mentioned the line changes. What we talked about, Ryan Strom as the second center, and how that experiment uh, might be coming to an end. But now there's rumors that Kraftsoff might be going to the KHL. So there's a lot going on with these line changes. Yeah, well, so the top line's set. The second line, in terms of the wingers, are set with Kreider and Kako, and it was Strom as your second center, which was never the long-term situation. That was a placeholder because that was Philip Hedl's spot, and he just didn't produce in camp as in the AHL. Uh, so now you've got a lot of experimenting. And the big problem that the Rangers, Ranger fans have been having with Quinn and the Rangers was Leas Anderson playing on the fourth line, getting six minutes a night when he was really impressive in camp. And in the limited ice time he'd been getting, he had been really impressive. And so you want to see him get more minutes. You don't want to see him buried on the fourth line with Greg McKegg and these no-name guys. And so now Strom's getting moved down to the third line. You have Brett Howden moving up to the second line as the center, which I like, and he's probably more deserving than Anderson because he'd been played, he played all last year, and he had also been impressive through these first few games. But you're keeping Anderson on the fourth line, and you're moving Brendan Smith up to the third line, replacing Brendan Lemieux, who is part of that future core and a guy you want to get minutes. So now you're going to have a third line with Ryan Strom and Brendan Smith, who are two basically hired mercenaries who are not going to be on this team and Jesper within Foss, two years. Jesper Foss is nobody that who nobody is ever confused for Wayne Gretzky either. Yeah, I mean Jesper <laughs> Foss is fine, and I'm I'm fine with him playing on the third line because he's dependable. But I would want him on the third line with Anderson and Lemieux. That's the third line I want to see. That's the third line Ranger fans want to see. Why are you burying Leas Anderson and Brendan Lemieux when this is a developmental season? Brendan Smith, I mean the guy, he's he's been reconverted as a forward, which I think has been really good. But he's nothing more than a fourth-line grinder. To play him on the third line above Brendan Lemieux, who you want to develop and is deserving of third-line minutes, makes no sense. And to bury Leas Anderson, who is a 19-year-old, who the top priority should be developed, below Ryan Strom, who, again, is a hired gun, will not be on the team next year. 
It makes zero sense. It doesn't make any sense. And when the Rangers... Look, there's a chance they make the playoffs. I'm not saying there's no chance. I picked them to make the playoffs, as a matter of fact. But you have to realize they're probably not going to win the Stanley Cup. So you can't be thinking like, oh, Brett Howden is the answer at second center for right now because he's going to win us a game now. No. Lias Anderson should be your answer at second center for the next 10 years. So figure that out first. Well, I think ultimately... It's tough because then you have Heedle coming up too. So the Rangers have. Well, how about Anderson's on the team? Heedle's not, and Kravstov's not. Yeah. So put the guy it. who's on the team in the spot Howden, where you might want to play him. I don't have a problem with Howden playing two center because he was pretty good last year. He's been pretty good through these first three games. He knows the guys he's playing with better than Anderson does. It's not a full season solution, but I don't have a problem because he's young and he's also part of the core. Give him some minutes around some real talent and see what he can do. My problem is with Anderson playing on the fourth line because I think he's at least deserving in the third line. Granted, David Quinn said that the Rangers have a tough schedule coming off, coming up, coming off all these off days. That the fourth line is going to be getting more minutes. That the four lines are going to be much more even in terms of playing time. So I have to reserve my judgment until then because the fourth line could have close to equal minutes as the third line, and right. then I wouldn't really have a problem because that's Anderson and Lemieux. But when you look at it schematically, why don't you then just put them on the third line? Because right. that's going to appease the fans a lot more. So it's just a weird optic right now putting Brendan Smith and Ryan Strom, who have no place on the core of this team or just placeholders this year, ahead of Leah Sanderson and Brendan Lemieux. One of the goals for this season for the Rangers, and I mean, I know you love Chris Kreider, and I know you wanted him to be the captain of the New York Rangers, is whether or not you want Chris Kreider on the team for the future. And if you do, you should have a steady second line for him to play on. Because you've taken him off the first line because you signed Artemi Panarin. Fine. I'm sure he completely agrees with that. Now you have a winger with him who's Capo, Capo Caco, 18, 19 years old, who is going to be a superstar in this league. And now he's playing with him. Great. But now you have a rotating second center. He has no idea who he's going to be playing with on a given night. I just feel like if you give him a solid second line, like the second line of your future could be Chris Kreider, Anderson, and Kako. And that would be good. It also could be Heedle, though. It could I be. Mean, it was then why Heedle. isn't Heedle on the team? Why is Ryan Strom still playing he- for the New York Heedle, Rangers? Heedle's been very good in the AHL. Then and I put think he'll come him up on very the soon. team. I agree. <laughs> I think. I don't know why. He, I think he'll get a couple more games. He'll be up within a week or two. So I, I maybe he's not on the game this Maybe he's not on the team this second. I think he'll be on the team within a week or two. If he's not on the team come Thanksgiving, there's a problem because he's been playing in the AHL, deserving of being on the team. He was a solid developing second-line center last season. He deserves a shot. I liked them putting in the AHL to get his head right, to get some reps in, but he needs to be on the team sooner than later. I say this about the Islanders all the time. Your team is not going to get better with, in this case, Ryan Strom. In the Islanders' case, maybe it's a Derek Broussard or Leo Komarov or whatever. Your team is going to get better with guys like Oliver Wallstrom, with guys like Philip Heedle. Your team is going to be better with young guys who can play the game, who are going to get better in the NHL. Sure, Philip Heedle maybe wasn't ready at the beginning of the season. Fine, he has to be on the team at this point. Because you're looking at a team that, look, they're not very strong down the middle after Zabenejad. They're really not. So if you're going to take Ryan, Ryan Strom... It's, I, that's not Strom's, the, Strom's a good player. I don't want to rip into him. He's a fine... I don't think he should be a center. I think he should be on the wing. To me, he's a fine third-line winger on this team. He should not be centering a second or third you're, line. You're, <laughs> excuse me. Your center core gets worse when it's Ryan Strom uh, instead of Philip Heedle. That's my yep. point. Yep. That's my point. All right. Vitaly Krasov. 
potentially going to the KHL. Now, he needs the Rangers' blessing to do so. He has a European um, season clause, basically, in his contract where they can send him back to the KHL. Um, yeah, you, we need to be careful about these reports because Larry Brooks tweeted that he talked to uh, Kravtsov yesterday, and it didn't come up at all. That He has heard absolutely nothing about it. And uh, Vince Mercogliano, who covers the Rangers for USA Today, said he also heard nothing and that he's reaching out to Kravtsov's agent. But the reputable Rangers beat reporters have said that this pretty much came out of nowhere and that it's they've heard nothing. This is coming from a KHL Russian source okay. who also tweeted that uh, last year or two years ago that Ilya Kovalchuk to the Rangers was a done deal when apparently they never really even talked. And he went to the Kings, of course. So... You have to be careful with where this is coming from, but it makes sense because Kravtsov, I think it makes perfect sense. Kravtsov was set to be on the Rangers this year, starts in the AHL, and he struggled a little bit in the AHL. He was a healthy scratch one game. They say his head isn't right. He isn't happy in Hartford. He doesn't like it in Hartford. He wants to be in Madison Square Garden with the Rangers. I get it. I, I get where he's coming from. But he, he, has, he needs to play his way onto the team. He needs to play well in the AHL to play with the Rangers. And the Rangers want him on the team. If he goes to the KHL, I think he'll be back playing with the Rangers later on in the season. I don't think he'll be there the whole year. But you're, you're giving the Rangers an ultimatum. Play me at Madison Square Garden or lose me to the KHL for the next three, four months. And I think if the Rangers were smart, they would put him on the team because you have Greg McKegg right now as your fourth-line right. winger. And you don't want him to go to the KHL and have his development stunted. At least you could control the way he plays and the way he develops on the team at the Garden rather than in the KHL. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily... Th and again, he's so young. So maybe the AHL is the answer for this season. I don't know. I don't think the KHL is the answer, though. He, he shouldn't be... The Rangers should not let him go to the KHL. And it really, in the end, is their decision. So Well, the thing is, is him going to the AHL, it was never a whole year thing. It right. was... Let's bring him up Thanksgiving, December 1st, that area. So would you rather have him play a month in the AHL or, you know, three months in the KHL? But if he doesn't want to play in the AHL at all, then cut the difference and bring him up to the league. All right, so the Rangers are 2-1. and one. They're playing the Devils tomorrow. That's Thursday. Uh, in New Jersey. The Rangers are going to give the Devils their first win of the season, right. and Jack Hughes is going to put up two goals, and look, the Rangers' defense is really scary. If Jacob Truba isn't getting those top-pairing top minutes, uh, I think we're going to see a shootout-type game. I think this could very well be a 6-5 game, uh, and I don't know. I As a Ranger fan, it is so classic Rangers versus Devils for the Rangers to give the Devils their first win of the season. That's the way this this rivalry's always felt. All right, we'll see how that goes tomorrow. Now, the third team is the Islanders. They played they played a lot. They've played six games. They're 3-3, three and three, and they're coming off a huge win against St. Louis on Monday. They're down 2 nothing with six minutes left in the game. This Brock Nelson scores a goal. Then with 30 seconds left in the game, Johnny Boychuk with a great keep at the blue line to score another goal to tie the game up. Devontae's wins it at overtime. For me, this is exactly the win this team needed. They were in a rut. Yeah, they beat Florida. They, they played well against Florida. But the, that St. Louis win was exactly the win this team needed, especially after games like Carolina and Edmonton where the coach was calling them out for, like, they look terrible right now. Yeah, and they were outplayed by the Blues definitely in the second period. The mm -hmm. first period a little bit more back and forth, and in the third period they were outplayed third. until the 10-minute mark or so, and then they started coming back for a rush. 
and then Nelson scored a sort of fluky goal. Yeah, he was like and then falling all of a sudden, away. And, and yeah. then all of a sudden, like, the whole building erupted, and the Islanders are right back into it, and they dominated the Blues in those last six minutes. They immensely outplayed them. Uh, so, And that Florida win was really big in the sense that it was Varlamov's breakout start. And yep. I just recorded my Islanders stand-up for WFUV yesterday. I covered both of those games for the station and the the key to this team, which we've said since the beginning of the season, is the goaltending. Because last year they led the league with the lowest goals against average, but they were also near the bottom of the league in goals scored. You you have to win these 2-1, to 3-2 games because you're not going to win the 5-4 games nearly as much as all the other teams. So for Varlamov to look solid, to hold the Panthers and the Blues to very few goals, to get the solid goaltending and defense, that's exactly the way the Isles played last year, and it paid dividends, and they can build on it. Yeah, the defense really only looked bad in the Carolina game. They didn't look great in the Edmonton game, but a lot of that was Varlamov didn't play great in that game either. Um, the defense and goaltending has to be good because they're not scoring goals, but they scored one against Washington, four against Winnipeg, two against Edmonton, two against Carolina, and then they won 3-2 in a shootout against Florida and 3-2 in overtime against St. Louis. So they're not scoring goals. They're not putting up five, six goals. That's exactly, the, but they're holding their right, opponents. They're, they're holding view. it all. The only game, like, they gave up five to Edmonton and Carolina, and you can't have games where you give up five. Because so, you're going to lose. Because you're, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. So now, shifting a little bit, they have tried to mend this they-can't-score issue by bringing up Oliver Wallstrom. Now, it's because Casey Sezekis was hurt. Casey Sezekis is supposed to be called off the IR today. I won't. I don't expect Wallstrom to make the trip to Winnipeg, but we will see. The game is on Thursday. Um, I thought he looked really good against St. Louis. I did, too. I thought he looked very, very good on a line with Broussard and Bailey. I think Josh Bailey's a perfect person for, to put him with. Derek Broussard, eh. But I think um, Josh Bailey is a perfect person to play him with, a guy who's played over 800 games in the NHL, all on the Islanders. He know, like He's gotten so much better over the last couple of years. I think that's the perfect person to play him with. And and then in the at the end of the game, they put him up with Barzal and Lee, and he looked very yeah, good. He got some important minutes there. He got some very important minutes. He had two shots. One of them almost went in for a goal, I think, yep. in the second period. So Trotz was depending upon him. He gave him a lot of trust, and we were talking to him at, after the game ended, and we said, is he definitely getting sent down, to your point? And Trotz was like, no. <laughs> he was like, right. he was like, if he plays, if he continues to play this way, you're going to see a lot of him this year. I have a lot of trust in him. It was evidenced by the, the minutes he was given at the end of the game, so maybe short term he might get sent down if they have a couple guys coming off the IR and there's just no spots, but Long term, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of Oliver Wallstrom this year if he plays that way. Now, Jordan Everly is hurt as well, and Michael Dalcole has not looked good. He had an assist on the Brock yeah. Nelson goal, but it wasn't like he teed him up on this perfect pass. It was it was a fluke. That, that was a bad goal by Bennington. Yeah, that was a bad goal I mean, by Bennington. That, that just... So it wasn't exactly um, a Gretzky assist, but I would play Wallstrom. I'd bring Wallstrom to Winnipeg over Dalcole. No question yeah, in my mind. And Dalcole is still. How old is Michael Dalcole? He was drafted the same year as Hosang, which is 2015. He's, I mean, he's, so he's not exactly young. a spring chicken, but he is 23. So yeah. he's still a guy that you no, want to give feels minutes like, to develop. It feels like it feels he's like been he's in Bridgeport for 150 years. Yeah. Um, he hasn't. Same with Hosang. Hosang's the same age. Um, it feels like they've been in Bridgeport since the beginning of time. I promise you they have not. Um, but, no, I, I think that Wallstrom looked really good. 
And I honestly expect a lot of that this year from the Islanders. Otto Koivula is a guy who could come up as well. And Noah Dobson's looked really good. Dobson's got to play, though. Dobson's got to play. Now, they have seven They have seven legitimate NHL defensemen. Yep. And Boychuk did himself a lot of favors with that game against St. Louis, especially oh, yeah. the last three or four shifts where he looked like 2011 Stanley Cup champion Johnny Boychuk, not the Johnny Boychuk we saw last year. Um that's the guy who Dobson's going to play over realistically because I do think that in his older age, Boychuk is is the weak link on this chain, uh, this defensive chain, and it's it's going to be tough for Dobson to get minutes. They have seven defensemen, but uh, we will see how that goes. Yeah, uh, that that was something that I've been critical of the Islanders because obviously Dobson can't play in the AHL. He has to play for the Islanders. He has to get his minutes if he wants to develop, and. We asked Trotz, that was another thing, and he said, look, Boychuk, you might not see it on the stat sheet. Fans might be frustrated with him, but he brings veteran leadership and physical intangibles to the game that no other player on the team brings and that very few players in the league bring, Yeah, which is which is a fair point. And it it's hard to argue point. when it he is, did no, have a good a game point. on he Monday. Did. He really did have a good game. So it is hard to give Dobson a guy who is not going to give you anywhere near the physicality or the veteran leadership that Boychuk is going to give just based on his age and size. When, But I think there has to come a point where, okay, Dobson's got to play over Boychuk, and the St. Louis Blues are one of, if not the most, physical team in hockey. It's how they won the Stanley Cup last season, so I support giving Boychuk those minutes. Yeah. But when you're playing against most teams in this league, I think you have to give Dobson the minutes. Yeah, and I, the easy solution to they have seven, plus Thomas Hickey too. He's an, he's an NHL-level defenseman. But just look at the seven that are currently on the Islanders. The answer is obviously to trade one of them, which is a lot easier said than done because you can't trade Boychuk and Letty. You're not going to trade Dobson. You're not going to trade Taze. So that leaves you with three, Pelic, Pulak, and Mayfield. And which one of those are you going to give up? So there were some rumors that maybe Pulak would going to be sent to Winnipeg for in a Nick Ehlers trade. We'll see. Um, but for now, I expect just kind of the Dobson, Letty, Boychuk revolving door for now, which we've seen throughout Dobson's first four games here, um, and it's it, been pretty good. It's probably just going to come down to who they're playing based yeah. on the game. And you see the Jets coming up in Winnipeg on Thursday. I would rely on Boychuk in that situation. But then Columbus, and then Arizona, and the Senators. Those are all games that you could argue Dobson Yeah, Dobson's got to play, especially against Columbus and Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. And then, or Arizona and Ottawa, I'm sorry. But, yeah. The Flyers, you can go with a couple different options. The Lightning, probably Boychuk. Sabres in Buffalo. Depends upon if the right. Sabres are still hot because they had one of the longest winning streaks ever last year and then literally didn't win a game besides that. <laughs> so, you never know. And then... I yeah, mean, their we'll schedule is very imbalanced we'll early see. on in the season. It is, it so is. so that, that's a big we'll see uh, kind of thing with Boychuk, Luddy, and Dobson. All right, let's move on. There are three teams who have been especially impressive. One of them we expected it from. It's Colorado Avalanche. And two of them we have not. You mentioned the Buffalo Sabres, and we talked earlier about the Edmonton Oilers. I want to start with Colorado because they're still undefeated. They're 5-0. and Miko Rantanen has been fantastic. McKinnon has been fantastic. Their whole team is good. Philip Grubauer has been good. And McCarr, Kale McCarr and Sam Girard are cementing themselves as one of the best defensive pairs in the entire league right now, and they're both so young. They're both in their 20s. I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of Colorado. Our main question about them, if you remember back to the Western Conference preview episode, was depth scoring. I'm not seeing a ton of it. I don't love Nazem Kadri as the answer to that, but 
you can't deny that they're that they're looking really good. Yeah, and they beat good teams. This is not an easy schedule. Calgary, Minnesota, Boston, all games that are really tough. They hosted the Coyotes, but Coyotes aren't pushovers anymore. Right. Then in Washington, they're in Pittsburgh tonight. I mean, they're beating really good teams. And they smoked Washington. It was 4 nothing in that Washington oh, yeah. game after the first period. Yep. They smoked Washington. So those depth forward, Burkowski has five points in five games. Kadri has four points in five games. In the If you look at the greater body of work of Andre Burkowski and Nazem Kadri, they're not 82-point guys. So it's going to be about how they're going to play. And honestly, if they keep it up, I think that the trade deadline is a huge gut check time for Joe Sackick. That, that's where I'm at with the Avalanche right now. Now, look, it's five games into the season. The trade deadline's four months away. But you have a team with questionable depth forward. You have a team who can make the playoffs with how good they are everywhere else on the team. And I think that they're going to make a big splash at the deadline to go for it this year because there's, no, there's really no reason not to if they're this good. And the West is wide open. Yeah. And the Sharks have looked kind of underwhelming. There's not really one dominant team the way in the east where you can say the lightning are probably going to be the best the number one seed that's wide open for the abs so there's no reason when you have so much young talent coming up a lot of which are not even playing with the avalanche right now you have pieces to move to go all in and again to your point there's no reason not to and the the other side of that coin is that ranton and mckinnon and landeskog are all so young they're all under 26 i think landeskog's 26 mckinnon's 24 and um Ranton is 22, so you're going to have them for a long time. I, I still think that what you got to go for it when you can go for it. And you, ha- you have this core for a long time, the, the starting five of Gerard McCarr and then those three forwards. You're going to have them for a while. But I, I've been really impressed with Grubauer. He's Obviously, he's 4-0 because they've won all their games. He has a 2.51 goals against and a 925 save percentage. This is a guy who barely played at the beginning of last year yeah. because of the Semyon Varlamov experiment. Um, and when he finally played, and then they they teetered off at the in the middle of the season when he finally played, that's why they made the playoffs. You could argue uh, he's been really impressive, and I mean, it similar to Matt um, Matt Murray in Pittsburgh when they won the cup, he got this opportunity because Holtby got hurt and helped them win the Stanley yeah, Cup. I loved him in Washington. Yeah. I thought he was probably the best backup goaltender in hockey. I was waiting for him to get his chance. Now he's had the chance with the Avalanche, and he's capitalized. Yeah, absolutely has. I thought he was going to go to the Islanders because Trotz did. Uh, that was an interesting, yeah, I think that was a trade deadline move, uh, Philip Grubauer. All right, the other teams, Buffalo. Uh, you mentioned how last year they went on one of the longest winning, literally one of the longest winning streaks of all time. And feels like they barely won a game um, afterwards. So it's a question of how much you can trust them, to me. Yeah, and there's not this team. I think they've underachieved overall in the last couple of years, but they don't jump out to me as a really threatening team. And part of it, again, is because they've underachieved. And it's and part of it's okay, the division they're playing. Part of it too. is prove it. But, yeah, their schedule that they've played so far does not necessarily jump out as the most impressive schedule to go on the run that they have. Uh, see, they beat the Blue Jackets. They beat the Penguins twice, but uh, or actually only once when they were hurt. They beat the Devils, who have, we just said had their problems. Uh, they beat the Panthers. They beat the... These Montreal on the road, that's a good one. Look, but when you compare that to Colorado... Montreal it doesn't home, even sorry. compare. No, it doesn't. It doesn't compare at all. And Dallas has been bad, and now they're playing Anaheim and L.A. two games in a row, so they'll probably move to 7-0-1. And 
in the end, I'm still not convinced this is a team that make, can make the playoffs. I'm still not convinced this is a team who can make a run, and it's all because of the logo on the front of their jersey. And until they prove it otherwise, similar to the Islanders, similar until they prove otherwise, nobody's going to trust a team with the Buffalo Sabres logo on the front of their jersey. Yeah, they have to prove us otherwise, and they haven't, which is why no one's going to take them seriously. But again, beating the Devils at home, the Stars at home, the Panthers at home, uh, you lost to the Blue Jackets in Columbus, beating the Habs at home. I mean, these are not necessarily wins to brag about the way the Colorados are. And so when you add that to the fact that they're the Buffalo Sabres, right. there's not a lot to buy into. All right, the last team is Edmonton. We've talked about Edmonton a lot because they came out east, but let's just summarize it once again. Well, they have the best player in the world. They have a hot James Neal. And Leon Dreisaitl is no slouch himself. Look, I'm just so glad that this is finally a good team because yep. when you have the best player in the world playing with Leon Dreisaitl, who's one of the best players in the world, and they're as bad as they were last year, this is a team that I really want to see go on a run. I want to see Connor McDavid in the spotlight. I think it's so great for hockey to see him and Dreisaitl play together. Uh, they deserve the spotlight. These players do. The organization doesn't necessarily because... Well, they, they finally just- fired what's-his-name. They're finally figuring their stuff out, but uh, I, I'm so happy for McDavid and Dreisaitl to get the opportunity, and they're stepping up to it. They've had good wins. They've looked like a very good team overall, and I, I think this could be a team that goes deep this year. They Remember, they do have playoff experience. They have big game they went experience. To, they went to that playoff a couple of years ago, and then after that, they just fell apart. Yeah, but they it's this isn't their first rodeo. For most of them. For most yeah. of them, it isn't. Uh, I would argue McDavid is still so young. You don't know how he's going to handle that. Now, I think if I don't know. You're talking about a guy he's, who's he's, a captain. Right, he's, who the did best, he's the best player in the, the world. He's the best. He's the best I'm hockey player in the him. world. I'm not going to question him. But it, it's going to be a question. I'm not going to question him. He's the best hockey player on planet Earth. There's no question about that. And I think that James Neal is huge for this team. And I know that's easy to say. He has eight, seven, eight. As long goals. as he continues as on, as, not yeah, the, yeah. not the way he played right. last year. Right. Not <laughs> like, the right. He already has as many goals as he had in Calgary last year. And he's a guy, talk about a guy who's been there. He's been around. He's been there. Did he win a cup in Pittsburgh? Maybe? Yes. Yeah? yeah. I th- I th- I'm with you on that one. A hard, questionable yes. Um, but whatever it is, he was on Boston and Pittsburgh in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So he has this playoff experience. I think that's going to be huge for them. It wasn't huge for Calgary because he was terrible. And it's the same point that we just made about Colorado. The West is wide open. There are right. no far and away juggernauts. And if San Jose that, can't pull it together, that's another like that's a spot that's open in the Pacific Division. Exactly. I think San Jose will pull it together, and they've been playing better their last couple of games since Patrick Marlowe's come back. But uh, Winnipeg is not Winnipeg that we saw two years ago. Nashville is strong. Abs are obviously strong. But besides that, I think the Golden Knights will be, will be good. The Flames will be good. That's four teams in eight spots, right? <laughs> and everything else is pretty much open. And of the four teams I mentioned, you can really—I would only bank on one or two of them absolutely, one hundred percent making the playoffs. So, all right, so that's going to do it for this one for Jack Caldwell. I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll see you next week.